For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Hello, Josh. Hello. How are you this evening? Excellent. Great. We have an interesting business profile coming up. Nicole Levesque will join us in a moment of the National Partisan Center. And uh, this is a business that I've heard about for many years that I'm, I'm really curious about. Fascinating business. Different Hope, business. Hopefully you'll never need those services, but you never know. <laughs> it's possible. You never know with my with my, my crime streak. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, Josh, first let's uh, go over quick uh, a couple of quick notes. Um, first of all, I, I want to bring this up really quick because we this, of course, this past weekend just felt like the last summer weekend, really. So as businesses, particularly retail businesses, transition into the winter months, do you have any advice for, uh, for particularly uh, storefronts um, who are maybe sort of you know, trying to adapt to that busy summer season, lots of foot traffic, then sort of um, sort of transitioning into winter where they'll have a lot less of that, maybe have to come up with different strategies to drum up business for a few months? You know, it's KYC. A lot of people use it. It's called know your client, know your customer. And that includes knowing your environment. There was an article in the Gazette last week uh, about uh, Ross Fraser and Fraser Furniture and how after 134 years of business, they are drastically changing their MO. They are going from this huge warehouse and this kind of maybe some older style furniture or, or buying, you know, because that's what they feel to, uh, to really seeing what the customer wants and, and really buying, not, not buying necessarily whole rooms at a time, but little pieces and changing the look and feel and just kind of catering to the local part. They're moving into Griffintown. Uh, I think they've already moved there, actually. And I know Ross was was on the show uh, a couple of times uh, in the past couple of years, and it was always interesting. But we talk a lot about reinventing. We talk a lot mm. of entrepreneurs about, you know, you can't stay the same. You can't stay stagnant. You really got to stay with the times. And this is probably one of the biggest reinvents uh, I've got to be out there because he was going from 80,000 square feet to 10,000 square feet and going from these Louis the Quatorze chairs to, you know, recovering them in denim to, to suit the purposes of the neighborhood. So reinvention is, uh, is really the takeaway from looking at retail and coming into the season. Really what, what's out there? Consumer tastes change and you got to stay up with it. That should be interesting to see to see how they uh, how they do their transition over the next uh, few months, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll catch up with them later on. Also, some news uh, from Globe Dynamit, uh, and uh, and they're making a bit of an investment. Well, they, they you know there was also another article uh, in the Gazette this weekend, and Andrew Lutfi was profiled, and he was talking about the success of Dynamite, and actually the of you know they're they're a huge corporation. They do you know probably I think they said about half a billion dollars in sales. Uh, so it's not your everyday entrepreneur, but what really stuck out from reading the article and reading a little bit about him was that he made a comment that said, if you're too comfortable, then not everything will go right. If you get out of your comfort zone, if you become a little less comfortable, that's where really your successes will come from because that's when you can drive yourself to be a little bit different and think outside the box. So that statement in and of itself is, if you're not comfortable, that's a key to success. That actually stood out. And I think for a corporation that's that's very large and expanding into the U.S. Uh, and expanding out of its comfort zone, uh, I think that's that's a huge takeaway lesson that can apply to any business and any entrepreneur.
All right, it's uh, 710 on today's Entrepreneur, and this evening on CJAD, we welcome Nicole Levesque from the National Pardon Center, our profile uh, on today's Entrepreneur. Welcome to CJAD, Nicole. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. So the first question is uh, pretty easy. For those uh, who don't know, um, I believe you've been in, you've advertised on CJAD before. We've I've heard of the National Pardon Center, but uh, it's an interesting, complicated business. Tell me about it. We specialize in assisting people with U.S. entry waivers to travel back to the United States, as well as Canadian pardons. And we also offer fingerprinting services for a variety of reasons. Now, how in the world did you get into this business? This is not something that everybody does on a daily basis. What is your background? I'm a criminologist. Um, I have my master's from, um, in criminology. And um, I originally was looking at sort of juvenile, you know, justice for with youth as well as working with women who were parents and or were parents mothers um, who were incarcerated and dealing with children of incarcerated parents and um, I was really looking for something long term that was less burnout um, and I loved the idea of pardons it was sort of the end you saw sort of a light at the end of the tunnel an opportunity for people who had made mistakes in the past and um, I got involved in working in pardons in Toronto for a while loved what I did really wanted to come back to Montreal saw a need here especially in the French community and um, decided to make the move back here about 14 years ago. So this is geared towards people who, who have committed a criminal offense, or uh, is it, or, or is, there, is the business bigger than that? Um, the pardon side is specific for Canadian criminal records. Um, waivers could be for anyone who got caught with pot at the border or overstayed their welcome in the United States. And the fingerprinting services have really expanded for a lot of things, such as immigration, employment, um, a lot of licenses that just require the proof that you don't have a criminal record. Now, did the fingerprinting service, did that come out a lot more recently? Is it you find that there are people doing either background checks or, or tracing people and their, I guess, whereabouts? Uh, like, what was the biggest trigger point to say, you know what, maybe fingerprinting services has really got to come about? It was a complimentary thing because we wanted to offer our clients as much customer service as possible if they were paying for a service. Um, so as soon as we got in the business here, we realized that we had to get into the fingerprinting services. Um, it was a challenge um, dealing with the RCMP and getting the accreditation that took a few years to do. Um, and since then, they've also advanced their technology. Everything used to be ink and roll when we first started doing it. Now it's all digitized. Um, and just as people were doing their research and realizing there were things out there, more and more people wanted to check in to seeing who they were hiring, who was volunteering on their kids, you know, basketball teams or coaching with them and, and teachers. Um, so a lot of people were demanding it more. And the RCMP, you know, have this whole digitized system um, that created a lot of demand there. Um, also in the immigration system coming into Canada, but also people who are looking to um, travel to other countries or live in other countries and they require background checks in the other countries they've lived in. Um, so we're getting a lot of international prints, people that are working in Australia or South Korea, teaching English, that have to show they don't have a record back here in Canada. So they're sending their fingerprints back to be digitized here as well. So your customer base isn't just individuals that walk in. It could be institutions. It could be schools. It could be whomever it might yeah. be. We also offer a mobile fingerprinting services. We'll come in and we will fingerprint uh, a, an amount of staff, whether it be at a bank or at a school, and then run and process those through the RCMP for everyone. 
privacy? I mean, I guess the people have to sign off that they're giving you their fingerprints. Uh, of What's course, the... of course. I mean, for certain jobs, you need to not have a criminal record, right? So if you're getting into those fields um, or as a company, you decide that that's your policy there, um, then, you know, people have to get that standard. Once they have their pardon, they'll also come up with a clear criminal record too, which also drives the pardon services as well right now because so many people are being checked on now that weren't in the past. When you, you said there was a, I guess a missing link or a, a gap in the market when you came to Montreal. Is there really nobody that is or nobody else that's really assisting? Do you, is there such a thing as competition to the National Pardon Center? We do have competition across Canada, um, less so in Quebec. Um, we have paralegals that do this. There's lawyers that do this. Um, there's a couple of other fingerprinting services out there that have gone on the pardon bandwagon, sort of the opposite of what we did. Um, when we came into the, into the province, um, really, I think we were unique in our field. Um, and it's also paperwork that people can do on their own. It's like hiring an account to do your taxes for you. Um, so it's a matter of if you if you really want the support there as well. And yeah, we saw a huge, huge, huge demand in this province when we opened. And I think one of the most interesting aspects, Dan, when we come back from from the break is, well, why choose not for profit? Why not why not go the for profit route? What was the driving factor behind that? Nicole Levesque, our guest from the National Parlin Center this evening on today's Entrepreneur at seven fifteen. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Nicole Levesque of the National Pardon Centre. And uh, Josh, an interesting business uh, with interesting challenges uh, that sort of can span uh, not only different jurisdictions, but different countries. Later in the program, we'll talk about uh, if uh, perhaps some... Uh, some of our more unsavory listeners have uh, a little too much money stocked away. How do you go about voluntary disclosure and maybe, uh, you know, uh, bringing yourself back into the legitimate sphere and, of things, which is a part of Nicole's business? And it's and it's certainly a hot topic with uh, with lots of people over the years, voluntarily or not, uh, whether parents. I mean, there's there's some money that people haven't declared. And so the that voluntary disclosure program is is really something interesting. But before we get there, and we were talking just before the break, about Nicole coming into the business, but not as a for-profit company, but as a not-for-profit company, even though she offers services or National Pardon Center offers services that uh, that are fee-based. But my biggest question is why? Why would you go not-for-profit versus starting your own corporation and, and trying to make a, a, a go out of it from a for-profit standpoint? Um, really, I think it was my background and my studies um, in criminology, and I'd also worked a lot in the nonprofit field. I felt very comfortable there and understanding it. Um, but like you said, we are slightly different. We are fee-based. Um, but that fee also allows us to give back into the community as well. And we do education programs as well as offer sort of free counseling to people who are attempting to do things on their own or just want to know how their criminal record is going to affect them if they don't necessarily qualify for our services at this time time or ever, um, you know, what their rights are with the criminal record, what they're allowed to answer, what they 
can disclose or not disclose and keep to themselves in different situations like we were mentioning earlier. And um, it was just sort of part of, of my being and what I knew and what I was comfortable with and, and, and felt comfortable moving forward from there in that way. Was it difficult to start up? You know, you have to get a charter. You have to, like, how do you start the not-for-profit? What was the most difficult aspect? Well, there was also the misunderstanding of why do I have to pay for a pardon at all? Um, so people didn't understand if it's a non-for-profit, why isn't it free? Um, but the government does charge money to put the paperwork together. So that's inevitable there. Um, so sort of the understanding of it is a privilege, not a right to get a pardon. Um, and you're going to have to pay for that, whether it means waiting a time, you know, yeah. qualifying for it, as well as funds behind it as well. Um, so that, you know, misunderstanding from a lot of people um, was a challenge in itself. And yeah, I mean, I was quite young at the time and, um, you know, bright eyed and bushy tail, which was probably the best time to do it. I figured, you know what, I'm in my 20s if this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. By the time I'm in my 30s and I have kids and I have other things, then I can sort of figure it out. Um, so some of it might have been going in sort of blindly, um, but that's sort of part of the entrepreneurial spirit as well. What kind of support did you have going in? I mean, did you kind of bounce this idea off of people? And you had this idea, there's a there's a missing link in the Quebec market, and you you have this passion for it. Did you talk to anybody before you started? Yeah, I did. And considering all of the other things I was doing before then, I think a lot of people, including my family and friends, were happy to have me back in Canada <laughs> versus, you know, other places where I was working in sort of prison systems and stuff and, and working in something they could see a future in. Um, but I had a lot of support, uh, particularly from my family and just people that I knew um, in Montreal. I figured I know a specific thing and I'm going to try to surround myself as much as possible with people that are experts in their areas because I'm not. And uh, thankfully, I did have a lot of people around me with a lot of support and I realized that I knew very little in the other aspects of things and um, I was surrounded by a lot of the right people and it made a huge difference. Nicole Levesque from the National Pardon Centre, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 723. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Nicole Levesque is our guest from the National Pardon Center today on uh, Today's Entrepreneur. And uh, Josh, uh, this is a, an interesting business on a number of levels. Uh, certainly, we'll get to HR and marketing in a moment. But uh, the way that uh, Nicole prices, I think, her, her services uh, could be interesting. I mean, how do you how do you price, Nicole, um, someone's potential future, essentially? I mean, their, their livelihood. And th these are sort of, this is a big deal that, 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 uh, that you're helping people out with. How do you, how do you even begin to, to put a, a price tag on that? Um, well, the price tag is the same for anyone, no matter how big their criminal record is or what their charge was. Um, and the prices associated with the actual application isn't a matter of that. Often it's where you live or what courthouses you went to um, because they can vary in prices. I mean, in PEI is the most expensive province to order something from. If you have one record there, you're going to be spending $100 just to get the court record alone, whereas several courts in Quebec are free. Um, so some clients, you know, may... And end up actually spending a lot less money by hiring us because it is the flat rate depending on where their record is or where they've lived. Um, other people, it costs a little bit more. So we've sort of had to just assess overall what it would cost us to run the company and per file and then come up with a, with a fee based on that. When you first started the business, did you have to think cash flow? How am I going to afford certain things? Did you have to say, I either have to go, you have to get funding from somewhere, family, bank? Uh, what was kind of the thought process when you're going in from a cash flow standpoint? 
Um, obviously, it was very simplistic, and we missed out on a lot of things. I think not realizing where we would have to invest in IT or in marketing was huge. We were kind of like, if we can pay our rent and cover all the bills mm-hmm. for it all, we should all be okay. But also looking at sort of investing and building the business up, not being a small sort of you know two or three person thing, but managing to be a team of 20, 30 people in three different cities at one point, you know, was something I did not take into consideration there. But we kind of went in with a with a credit line and our fingers crossed, and as we saw, you know, potential in things, obviously there was more reinvestment afterwards. Once there was cash flow coming in, it was easier to borrow more and then build from there as well. So your location when you first started out, I guess that had to have been somewhat important if you're, you know, you're really not sure where the next buck is coming from. You need the people to walk through the door. Yeah. And that's why we decided we wanted to be in the city on the metro line. I mean, it was very important for us to have a central location um, just so people could come in. You know, we are a walk-in center and we want to make ourselves as accessible to people as possible. Now, it certainly takes, I mean, we keep talking about people, 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 and you're talking about building your team, you know, the 20 people, 30 people. How do you find them? Was it difficult to find them? And what kind of hoops do you have to jump through to make sure that they qualify or that they pass whatever tests the RCMP have to kind of put out there? Well, they can't have a criminal record to have the RCMP accreditation. They, is the they can't get thing. pardoned and then come back? <laughs> yes, they could actually. Okay. Um, but in order to be you know, a fingerprinting agent, you obviously have to clear clearance with the RCMP. So that is the first requirement. Um, we've actually been really successful at hiring through the universities and the, you know, the employment programs that they have there, both at McGill and Concordia more. Um, we have a little bit at HSC and... Um, a few other universities, but those have probably been our two, maybe just because of proximity to the office as well. Um, and um, we found that a lot of the time we've hired people who are interested in continuing in perhaps law after their undergrad and want a few years under their belt of, you know, solid experience or to help pay off their student loans before they get mm-hmm. some more um, in law school. Um, so we found that we even have students that will often work for us, you know, part time through the summers while they're in school and then we'll come in and be counselors afterwards. Um, you you know, there's not specific training on pardons and waivers out there in education. So it's a matter of being able to think a certain way and learn a certain way and then go through the rigorous training that we give them after that. How many employees are you now, approximately? We are now, I think, about 15, 16. So it's, it, how do you find it managing the 15 people? I mean, you started out probably with a couple. Was there a big change on your part from how you kind of look after and manage the office? There was. I mean, I think the key thing is learning how to delegate, which I think most entrepreneurs I know probably have a challenge with. We, we think we can do it all and we can't. Um, so getting those other people out there that can also help train your team, hire te- people that will fit with your culture and what you want have made a big difference there. Um, we were in three cities at one point. We're now only in two. Um, the three cities is becoming a very, very, very big challenge uh, for me. Um, so I think that made a big difference there and also not understanding the culture as much of the third city that we were in. Um, but really it's having the right people with you that can help build your team. I think that makes a big difference. And Dan, as you can see, not for profit, for profit, it's all the same issues. You got to manage your, you got to manage business. You got to manage what comes in, what goes out and the people that are around. And, uh, certainly when we come back, we'll hear a little bit more about maybe the client base and how how that National Pardon Center and Nicole have been able to market themselves and who they really attract to come in and use their services. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
7.35 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And Josh, this, this could be our first profile in the law enforcement area, I believe, or in the law. Well, not certainly in the law area, but maybe in the... Uh, in the... Nobody, nobody's coming to take you away from handcuffs, to Dan. <laughs> no, Don't worry about it. It's, it's such an interesting business. The National Pardon Centers, uh, Nicole Levesque joins us. And, uh, you know, how do you even... How do you even begin to market this kind of service, Nicole? Because that's particularly interesting. You're dealing with a very specific demographic. Um, how do you get the word out? Um, well, initially it was reaching out to other, you know, groups, criminal justice groups, uh, John Howard Society. Elizabeth Fry was here at that time. I don't believe they're still in Quebec or in Montreal. Um, and just other organizations, you know, that you knew would have a client base that could come to us. Um, we then started with radio ads, um, which was a big, huge one. Um, we couldn't believe it in the first year. Like a radio ad would come on in our phone would start ringing off the hooks just to sort of make people aware. And then, of course, obviously the internet. I mean, we started in 2002 and the growth of the internet and our industry on the internet since then, you know, has been massive. Have, have you, as you look back at your marketing, is there anything you would have done a little different? Would you have done internet a little sooner or differently? Would you have targeted different, different groups? Or you, you feel that you really hit the right areas? I feel that we hit the right areas in marketing, I have to say. Um, I, I think sometimes there was some surprises, positive surprises. Um, I mean, I think just the cost of marketing was not something I expected when I was starting in business, um, both online and off. I mean, we never got into sort of big banner ads or anything along those lines um, on, on the internet. Um, obviously, I'm sure there have been some mistakes there, but overall, I think the marketing campaign has been quite successful and represented who we are and has drawn in the right sort of clientele. I guess a big part of it is just educating your consumers. Yeah. Like, what's the difference? What's a pardon? What's a waiver? Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure people, some people mix it up all the time. Uh, maybe you can distinguish for us exactly between pardon and waiver, uh, what that is, and, and who maybe uses it the most. Yeah. Well, a pardon, which now legally is called a record suspension, uh, just to sort of clarify, but we still use a pardon, seals your criminal record here in Canada. It is not a legal document to get into the United States. A waiver is the paperwork from the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. that allows a Canadian with a criminal record or who has been deemed inadmissible to the United States to legally travel to the U.S. How close do you get to your customers? I mean, do they come in and tell you their big, long story? And I mean, this is just a, a formula or this is just a form that you fill out and complete. Do they, are there processes and what what happens at the end if they don't get their pardon or they don't get their waiver? Um, well, it runs the gamut. I mean, you have some people that you never see that will send their paperwork in and you send some stuff back and forth and um, we take care of it. And we've maybe spoke to them on the phone once or sent a few emails out. We have other people, um, you know, that haven't had the opportunity to, to share what this has, you know, done to their life, um, either the criminal record itself or the freedom of not having it there anymore that want to share their story a little bit more. Um, so it really, really, really varies on the individual and how it has affected them. Does that come into play when you're submitting the forms or not really? Um, we now, each person has to write a written representation of why they would like to get their pardon or they'd like to get their U.S. entry waiver. Um, for more serious criminality, um, I think that, the, I, I know that the parole board definitely look at that and see why, you know, accepting responsibility, showing that you're not the same sort of person or, you know, that you don't have a, you know, a criminal lifestyle um, definitely can come into play for more serious, serious records. 
Can anyone get a pardon or a waiver? No, not anyone. Not everyone can get a pardon or a waiver. Um, you have to qualify for it. So you have to complete your sentence and then you have to wait out the waiting period. Um, there's certain crimes that don't qualify for a pardon or record suspension whatsoever. Um, and then also, if the parole board believes that you're not of good conduct, they do have the right to deny a pardon. Um, it's rare. We're seeing it more and more now. Um, and any police involvement, even non-criminal things, um, can affect a pardon application if they believe that, you know, it won't make them look good or there could be an issue if they were to grant you a pardon. And if somebody didn't maybe pay a fine a long time ago and it's still outstanding? Well, that's one of the biggest issues, I would say, and one of the faults in the program right now is that you do have a lot of people that aren't necessarily aware of, of fines they may owe. And we're not looking at, you know, $10,000 restitutions. We're looking at surcharges of around $35, $45, couple of hundred dollars um, that somehow snuck through the CACs or, you know, different person wasn't as responsible for their finances at the time and are now taking care of things. And then I have to tell their client, the client you have a $50 fine you got to pay it and now you got to wait another 10 years to get a pardon um, it can be very 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 detrimental and it's one that I'm really seeing affecting individuals now wow. so, so you're saying that if someone let let that if they were going on this entire time thinking they were sort of outside of criminality then they find out they haven't had this. They have this traffic ticket from a decade ago, and that can just ruin the whole thing. Traffic ticket wouldn't affect it um, necessarily. If you had a bunch of traffic tickets out there that were outstanding, the parole board may say, "Hey, you're not of good conduct. Please explain this hmm. to us and go from there." But any fines or restitutions associated with your criminal convictions, if those were not paid off, then you haven't completed your sentence. So the waiting periods for the pardon haven't started until that has been paid. Now, you've been doing this for about a dozen years, and you mentioned before a change in terminology. I'm sure the regulations and legislation has changed drastically over the years. What's been some of the, maybe some of the biggest changes that has affected the National Pardon Centre? Um, well, I mean, we got hit by Harper's Tough on Crime Bill massively in 2012, just the whole industry, uh, people being able to qualify for pardons. Uh, the key thing was a change in the waiting periods. Um, it used to be three or five years once your sentence was done. It's now five or ten years. So we're seeing a lot of people in their 20s being affected the most. Those people coming out of school, the ones that I'm interested in hiring, you know, that might have made a mistake in their 18, 19, 20 they used to be able to, once they were done school, you know, hopefully know they would have everything taken care of three, five years later. Now you're looking at into their 30s, they're going to have that record throughout all of their 20s. And it definitely has changed some of my clients' career paths. What's a typical, I guess, customer profile? Oh, our number one client by far is drinking and driving. I would say probably about 70% of our clientele are, are drinking and driving related charges. And so stuff that can go back... 10, 15, 20 some odd years? Yeah, a criminal record never goes away automatically, um, certain, either than certain youth ones. But as an adult, um, people sort of have this idea, or oh, after seven years, it's going to go away or whatever it may be. But uh, you always have to make an application to have those records destroyed. You know, the difference between someone who ends up being a criminal and not, uh, as I'm sure you know, sometimes is, is so tiny. I mean, do, do you does it get to you sometimes when you see these really borderline cases uh, where it could have just as easily gone the other way and yet this person has to get a pardon and spend years of their life trying to reform uh, how, how the system views them? Yes, because I've been challenged by people a lot in what I do. Why do you want to help criminals? And mm -hmm. um, then you actually talk to people about who my clients are and they realize that most people they know could have been in that situation. I mean, I have I don't think I have yet had a conversation with someone that can't say they haven't done one thing that if they were in the wrong place at that time that they may not have gotten a criminal record for. Now, I know you're a not-for-profit 
that must also indicate or mean that you do have a board of directors or you do have a group that does counsel the association or the pardon center. Yep. Uh, was this created from the outside? Maybe you can talk a little bit about your board of directors and how you created it and how it helped you. How it helped me? I mean, it was really, like I said, those founding people at the beginning that had the expertise in the areas that I didn't. Um, so I, I reached out to family and friends and people that knew people, and um, I was connected through to quite a few people. I mean, Warren Allman was a huge, huge, huge support with us. Um, he's not on our board of directors, um, but he was an advisor at the beginning. And, I mean, he connected us to so many people and was such a great support um, from the beginning um, and people around him that really definitely made a difference. And um, we've had the same board since the beginning um you know and uh they're less involved now i mean we run more you know from the staff and we listen more from what the staff have to say and the board aren't really going to dispute those things they know they're in it day to day and they sort of take their advice there but for the first few years yeah just opportunities and ideas that i didn't see so do you stay close with the team i mean do you have kind of weekly or monthly or periodic meetings where you kind of get input from everybody on, we on do we try to have you know I, we, I can't say loyally we do every you know Monday morning meeting but I do try to have a group meeting with my office in Montreal and then have individuals you know every every week or every couple of weeks when I can um, and I do the same thing in Toronto um, I did in Calgary again it was a little more of a challenge with things there and then we also try to do fun things as well you know we've done charity events where we've done you know 5k runs um, one of my most recent things in, in Toronto I took all of my staff axe throwing um, really to axe. sort of build up the team and the <laughs> culture there right so it's just a matter of enjoying the people you're with and trying to have fun both you know out of you know we do sanka sets here and there you know but really just sort of creating a nice team and a nice culture that people enjoy being at work as well and you work with your husband i do so you're with him 24 7 i am no <laughs> not always. and still surviving and the axe throwing anyhow we won't go <laughs> fringe benefit fringe benefit can you imagine that then axe throwing here at cjd <laughs> sounds like fun i'm in For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.48 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Our guest this evening is Nicole Levesque of the National Pardon Centre. And let's also welcome back Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. And uh, specifically, Nick, we want to talk about... Um, I mean, not all of Nicole, I mean, most of Nicole's clients, I'm sure, don't have this situation, but some might. Maybe uh, an abundance of of resources socked away under a mattress somewhere, perhaps. How do we deal with that? Well, it's it's here it's coming clean with your tax record as you're trying to protect your record going forward. Um, and, and you could run into it. You, you could have, never mind having cash offshore, it could be something as simple as just never reporting certain income that you have earned. Uh, claiming expenses that perhaps you shouldn't have claimed. Uh, it could be as silly as not filing forms that you should have f uh, filed in the past. And all these things usually carry, there's income taxes that could be applied. There's uh, penalties that would be applied and there's interest. And um, at some point in time, if you're not sleeping at nights and this is bothering you, and especially if, um, if you're the children of parents and you're finding out and perhaps your parents have not been doing things right um, and it may fall upon you one day, uh, you may want to speak to the family and say, listen, maybe we should come clean with the government. What do we do? Well, one thing we don't want to do is simply write up in a tax return and file and send it into the government because the government will be more, more, more than happy 
uh, charge you with the income taxes and then come down on you on penalties and, and interest and everything else they can think of. So uh, over the years, they've developed the Voluntary Disclosure Program, which is basically, uh, I call it a confession to your maker, which is the, our tax lords, uh, as to what is it that we haven't done properly and um, we want to come forward and, and advise them of it to to save on penalties and all that. Are there what's the more I guess common areas that you see people needing to come forward with? Uh, lately, it's been and it's all been in the news is offshore funds that we have we have seen uh, where especially where kids uh, find out the parents over the years, especially big time in the forties, fifties, and sixties, had stored money offshore, and the kids are not very comfortable, especially if they're taking over an estate. Of, of having this money out over, uh, offshore. They don't know how, well, what do I do with it? Where I live in Canada and I want to live in Canada. Uh, but we do find it uh, in uh, just unreported income. Uh, we had a situation where um, uh, a husband passed away and the wife found out that the apartment building that they live in as well has never been filed as a tax return. So what do you do? Uh, you also find, unfortunately, in um, uh, with businesses, because it could be anybody can come in and, and do these voluntary disclosures. It can be an individual, a corporation, a trust, where businesses have found out that they, they forgot to file certain forms um, that that carry $2,500 to $24,000 penalties uh, uh, per year that they don't file. So what's the typical process? What does one person do if they want to say, you know what, I want to come clean tax-wise, how do I sleep well at night? Okay, what so, do I got to do? So first of all, what you got to look at is that, you A, you, you did something you shouldn't have done. Uh, penalties apply to what it is that you did, and invariably they do. Um, the error has to be at least a year old. So it can't be something like, if we're doing looking at now, it can't be what I didn't do in my 2013 personal tax return. It would be for something I didn't do in my 2012 personal tax return. And you're ready to come forward, and it is a confession, because... Um, once the government gets your information, gets your name, and they start looking, they will check. And if they find that there's other stuff out there that you perhaps didn't tell them, then this voluntary disclosure is uh, is denied. Do you give your name at first? Uh, no. Uh, what is the usual uh, format of what you're looking, trying to do is you gather and prepare your file. You put in an application with the government, and this would be with the federal government and with Quebec. Um, we want to come forward. Um, here's our situation. You get you get a registration, and you basically have now 90 days. You're on a no-names basis to discuss the situation with the tax authorities, provide them with uh, at least the story and some information without advising names. And if you do have an agreement towards the end of that 90 days, well, then you have to come forward and say, okay, well, there, here's the name. It's Bob. Here's a social insurance number, and, and off you go. And that's basically usually the procedure. Very interesting. All right, Nick Moraitis uh, talking about voluntary disclosure. Nicole Levesque is here from the National Pardon Center. More on today's entrepreneur after the break at 7.53. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.55 on today's entrepreneur. Nicole Levesque joins us from the National Pardon Center. And Nick Moraitis, tax partner from Fuller Landau, is here to talk about VD, uh, which is apparently, <laughs> uh, accounts call it a voluntary disclosure. It's they a do. tax VD. I know, man. it's a, the tax VD. Um, but let me give you a for instance, because this, you know, and this uh, this is kind of interesting uh, dilemma. If you are, uh, you know, part of the estate of someone who has socked away a lot of money, you know, if, let's just say something happens, God forbid, to Tony Soprano, you know, what happens then to Meadow and to AJ? You know, do, do they then have to t bear the responsibility of, of the fact that perhaps uh, the estate did not go on and pay taxes for many years? Um, what what usually happens with estates particularly, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the coming forth with these offshore funds uh, is that it's the liquidators of the estate, 
which could be the kids. It could be the spouse of. It could be the spouse, the kids, and the third party um, who are the ones who are going to, are on the hook if they do if they choose to disregard those funds. And if the government ever finds out about it, they ne won't necessarily go chase the family. They'll go chase the liquidators because they're the, they're the ones who let the the assets go. So if I'm appointed as a liquidator and I'm an accountant, I'm doing this as a living. Uh, I'm not getting anything from the estate. So I have to sit there and say, okay, I found a million dollars offshore in Switzerland. Am I going to divulge or am I going to pretend it's not there? Well, that million, they can come and knock on my door, the tax authorities, and collect it from me if the family disappears. So that's, you know, I'm not going to take that risk. So what we're finding with the states is that in many instances, it's, it's a no-brainer. You're basically going to go through the voluntary disclosure process uh, and and sometimes the government knows you're in a state, and they know that you have to do this, and uh, so it's a, you're you're forced to go through. And then it's a negotiation as to how many, how much of those funds, depending upon uh, when were they put offshore, how were they earned, were they ever taxed in Canada at one point in time, um, what income they've been derived, how much of that you will be turning over to the government, and how much you end up keeping. So estates and offshore with the kids is is uh, is a big thing. The other thing we're noticing is uh, an unreported income. There is no a time constraint. The government can go back as long as it wants. Uh, this example which we had with uh, uh, the, the widow when she found out her husband never reported, uh, that went back 15 years. The government cut it off at about 10. Um, but uh, we, we, last time we saw a tax return was 15 years ago, and we had to go back and reconstitute but using the bank records what probably was the rent and the expenses, etc. So it could be you're, it could be an extensive program um, and, and time delays as to getting all this stuff ready and done. And Revenue Canada, Revenue Quebec don't necessarily treat not not at the all same for, way for some reason. Well, I guess because we do it differently, or there we are distinct. Yeah, we are distinct. The the, the rules, uh, the general rules have to apply. It has to be you know something you did something wrong. But you can end up going and negotiating a 10-year look back with one government and a six-year look back with the other, and, and and they may not view the same things at all. Um, once you now don't get into the habit that oh I can not do things and every couple of years go back go in and do a voluntary disclosure. Obviously, uh, if you ever do a second voluntary disclosure, um, forget the no names business because the minute uh, you're going forward, you have to disclose I've done this before, and and the government has a, a more much more restricted view as to you coming in a second time to confess. Uh, we're not as good as, uh, as I guess, your priest to, to accept confessions every day or week. They may not accept it unless it's really out of your control. One kick at the can. That's it. And I'm sure, you know, when somebody's looking for a partner waiver, sometimes it's one kick at the can too. That's true. So as we approach the uh, the last moments of, of our show, Nicole, I guess as, as we do with, with many other entrepreneurs that's sitting in your seat right now, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Well, any business, in order for it to be successful, I think it's a matter of who works for you and who you surround yourself with. Um, culture, I think, has to be the most important thing in any business, nonprofit, at working with criminals or you know, anything you could ask for. So I would say your culture and your team is probably the most important thing. And I would say it's extra important, especially when you have these axe-throwing parties, to make sure that <laughs> everybody is on the same page and culturally together so that they don't aim at the wrong people, especially when you're working with your spouse. Uh, I, I, th <laughs> I think the biggest takeaway that, that I have is, you know, coming in and talking about a not-for-profit business, many people don't realize that there's so many aspects, there's so many entrepreneurial aspects that, that you must 
basically act in the same format as a for-profit business. You've got to hire people, you've got to market, you've got to have the, the right human resources, you've got to have the, the right product and pricing. There's so many things that are the same. And uh, I thank Nicole for sharing her experience with us. Nicole Levesque of the National Pardon Center. Thanks for coming in, Nicole. And thanks to Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau as well. Uh, don't forget, you can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or www.flmontreal.com. We're back next Monday night at 7 p.m. right here on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800.